And the, the reading this morning is from Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his gl- glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your, in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all, with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immen- immeasurable, uh, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What is Paul's prayer for you? I wonder what Paul's number one prayer for you would be. I wonder what your number one prayer for yourself is. I wonder what your number one prayer for those you know, those you love is. Your family, your friends, whoever, whoever it might be. What is your number one prayer? Is it for a happy life? Is it that Manchester United might win? That's for you, Eli. Is it that, uh, that you might be safe? Is it that you might get a good education? Is it you might be okay financially? What is your number one prayer? I think Paul's number one prayer for the Ephesians and would be for us as well is all to do with identity. Now, you might be a little bit sick and tired of me banging on about identity. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll have heard me mention it every time I preach this thing about identity, identity, identity. Well, you'll be pleased to know this is the end of this part of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about identity, who we are in Christ, what is our position in uh, in him. That's the first three chapters, and we're coming right to the end of that. This is the the end of those first three chapters. And next week, we begin chapter four, and chapters four, five, and six are much, much, much more practical in the way they look at things. Chapter 4 begins saying this, in light of all this, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. In other words, you've been called to all of this stuff, this identity that you have, and now I'm asking you to live a life worthy of your calling. And this is how to do it. And that's the next three chapters. But finally, this is the end bit where it's all about identity. Identity being all about who am I? Who am I? Am I worth anything? Am I any good? How do I know if I'm any good? Paul's prayer for us, for the Ephesians. Actually, and as we said before, this was a circular letter around loads of of different churches. For all of the churches was all about identity. What is it that Paul prays? That's what we're going to look at right now. Um, if you've got a Bible in front of you, that's, uh, that's great. If you've got your, uh, your booklets, uh, that's great as well. I don't mind if you want a booklet. If you haven't got one and you want to stand up and grab one from the back, you're very welcome to do that uh, as well. But the, the second half of Ephesians chapter 3. Here we go. If you lob up the, the slide, thank you. And uh, it, I, very, it's in four different bits. There's an introduction to the prayer that he prays. He's then got two prayers, prayer one, prayer two, and then finally a doxology, which we'll come to uh, in a moment's time. But first of all, the introduction to the prayer. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The very first thing that Paul does is uh, remembers God's truth. 
he remembers what's happened before. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. For what reason? That you might I hear you say. Well, just before that, uh, we're told that Paul uh, says to uh, the, the Ephesians, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Therefore, I kneel before the Father. Given everything that's gone before, that the Gentiles and the Jews have been joined together, given the life that we, that we have, given that we are built into God's uh, temple, given that we are based on Christ as the cornerstone, given all of those things, I pray this prayer. Okay, so what are his two prayers? What are his prayers for us? Prayer number one is this, that you may know Christ's presence. That you may know Christ's presence. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being. You think, wow, that's a great build-up. You know, better be a great prayer after that build-up. He may strengthen you with power. Power for what? Power that you may know that Jesus is with you, that you may know Christ's presence. What it says is, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, in some ways, it's a bit of a funny prayer, and sometimes I know that I pray this. I pray, come Holy Spirit, or I pray that Jesus should be with us. And in some ways, some people are like, oh, does that really make sense? Because if we kind of believe that Jesus is always with us, how can we pray that he's with us? Or if we believe the Spirit dwells always within us, how are we praying? Why are we praying that? And it's true that the Spirit dwells with everybody who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Spirit is with each of us. But I think when I pray or when we pray, come Holy Spirit, what we're saying is make your presence more known to us. May we know you more closely. May you, we have a more intimate walk with you. May we know that you are with us. And I think that's what Paul's praying here. May all the saints... Out of the riches of God's grace, the number one prayer for you is, may you know that Jesus is with you. And number two, may you know that Jesus loves you. Middle of verse 17, I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul loves using uh, parentheses, or lo- loves kind of putting brackets and, and commas and everywhere. Actually, those don't exist in ancient Greek, so the translators have to kind of put them in for them. But, uh, but uh, Ed, at our, um, at, at our staff meeting, we looked at this said, actually, if you read it without all those brackets in place, this is what it says. I pray that you may have power to grasp. Again, what is his number one prayer? That you may have power to do what? To grasp. How wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. It's almost like Paul struggles to describe it. Do you know, it's just, it's so, Christ's love for you is so big. Uh, uh, you know, it's so wide, it's so high, you can't get over it. He doesn't say that. But, you know, it, it's so big that, you know, I, can't, I, I just can't describe it. And Paul does this regularly. He does it in Ephesians here. He talks about the immeasurably great riches of of Christ, the incomparably great power. Verse 20, the imme- that he can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. It's so big, we can't even grasp it. And he goes over the top in verse, in verse, uh, verse 19, he uses an oxymoron. You say, what's an oxymoron? I remember at school when we had, a, had a someone speaking to us and uh, he started using this word oxymoron and the teacher got up afterwards and said, don't worry everybody, an oxymoron, uh, what did he say? He, he stood up and he said, uh, don't worry, an oxymoron is a contradiction in terms. 
And I said, that doesn't help me at all. Still don't understand what you're talking about. Oxymoron is basically something that doesn't quite make sense. Two words put together. And in verse 19, he says, I pray that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may know something that surpasses knowledge. Again, that doesn't quite make sense. But again, Paul is just sort of overflowing. You may know this love that is just so big. You just, you can't, it's just, you can't even comprehend it. And that flows out into the final bit, the doxology. Doxology literally is uh, glorious words. Glorious words. This glorious kind of ending. That you, uh, the, the way he says, to glory into God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Powerful. So Paul's, the summary is that if a, Paul's prayer for us, Paul's prayer for you, is that you may know Christ's presence and that you may know Christ's love. How about your prayers? Is that, what do you pray for yourself, for others? I remember when I was an undergraduate at, uh, at university, um, we had uh, the, the, the CU uh, where I was, was, was very, had lots of very sort of, uh, was very fervent in prayer. We had lots of very um, intense uh, prayer meetings, praying desperately that our friends would become Christians. And, uh, which which was, a good, it was a good thing to pray for. Um, but we would, uh, we would have these meetings where we'd come together and someone would say, oh, can you pray for you know, Dan in my college or can you pray for um, Sarah on my course or whatever it might be. And we'd, you know, we'd pray for these people uh, until uh, at one point someone said, oh, maybe these people might not want other people to know that we're praying for them if we're sharing things about them. And we're like, oh, yeah, good point, good point. So we started to pray for their initials. So someone would come along and say, oh, yeah, can you pray for SP? Well, yeah, okay, we'll pray for SP. And can you pray for, you know, DF? Okay, yeah, we'll pray for DF. And we, we, so, so we'd have all the, this list of initials. And then someone said, well, you must, still might be able to work it out from that. So why don't we just give one letter, just their first name? So then we would have this whole list of, and we'd be sitting there, okay, we pray for G. Yeah, pray for G. Pray for S. Yeah, pray for S. And for R. And yeah, pray for R. And in my head, I thought, do you know, at some point, this is going to spell out something inappropriate. <laughs> it's all going to go horribly wrong. <laughs> And uh, again, nothing really. It was great, great praise for people. It just got a, a little bit, uh, a little bit farcical. Um, but but I remember someone in one of these meetings, or I was chatting to them afterwards, said, "Hang on," and they said, "Where do we see in the New Testament are people praying for their friends to become Christians?" We were like, "Oh, oh yeah." And we kind of thought about it, and none of us had come up with any with any thoughts of where exactly we'd seen. You know, there wasn't an example of Paul praying for D and F and J and or, or even their real names. You know, we thought, well, that, that's a bit odd. But we brushed it under the tar- carpet and kept praying for them anyway. But it kind of, I remember at the time, it got me thinking, and I still ponder, and this really brings it to light. What are, what are the things that are prayed for in the Bible? And do our prayers mirror that at all? It, at some point, I would uh, love to have uh, time to kind of get, get together all of the prayers of the New Testament, put them together, and sort of, what is it that they pray for? I'd like to point out, there's nothing wrong praying, with friend, praying for friends. Like, please do that. But what is it that people pray for in Scripture, and do I, what can we learn from that? I don't know how many of you have got uh, iPhones, um, uh, but uh, on the newest update of iPhone, I don't know what iOS it is, iOS 12 or something, on the newest update, um, there's, uh, there's, in, the, in the settings, uh, it, there's a thing that can show you your screen time usage. Okay. And um, uh, I, I thought I'd just, yeah, here we go. Uh, this is me being very open and honest with you, you know. I'm hoping there's nothing, you know, 
you know, you kind of read into any of this. But uh, this, this, this is what it comes up with. It comes up with how, much, how many times you've used your phone in a day and, and, and the like. So on the, on the left here, it says, uh, my av- it, I guess it says my average last week was one hour 44 per day on my phone. Is that a lot? Or not? I don't know. I don't know. I remember when I mentioned it in the first service, some people were like, I can't believe you spent that much time on your phone. <laughs> and other people were like, I, I spent much more than that on my phone. I don't know. Um, and, and it shows you like, exactly like, how much you spent doing what. So it showed me, like, well, I spent this much time on productivity and this much time on entertainment or, or whatever. And you kind of go through and it shows you all the things you use. And then, and then you go to another, another screen and it shows you how many times you've picked up your phone that day. How many times you've looked at your phone? Apparently, I've looked at my phone 37 times per day on average. Again, I, I don't know. Is that, I don't know if that's a lot or not. Be interested, you know. If you want to look at your phone and check out what, what your details are, maybe after the sermon, uh, <laughs> Ralph. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, then, you know, and then it had notifications as well. How many notifications? Apparently, I receive 119 notifications a day on average on my phone. Most of those are from Synergy. Um, <laughs> On WhatsApp. Well, that's good. That's good. Or, or they're from my dad. Whenever my parents go on holiday and my dad, you know, you don't hear anything for a few days and then they come back to Wi-Fi and all of a sudden there's just a stream on the WhatsApp group. Here are all the things I've seen in Venice <laughs> or whatever it is. So that's probably what they are. Anyway, as I looked at this, do you know what it got me thinking? What would it look like if you did this for your prayer life? What if God had on God's iPhone a thing he could look up? I wonder what Graham's like, prayer life has been like this week. Let's have a look over the last seven days. You know. I wonder the things he's, how much has he been praying? Probably woefully little. And what are the things he's been praying for? Well, this day he prayed mostly for himself. <laughs> and look, there's a tiny bit there where he was praying for people who were struggling or in another country or the persecuted church or whatever it might be. And what about per day, pickups per day? How many, how many times has Graham prayed today? Oh, well, Thursday was a bit of a low day. <laughs> but Friday, he prayed quite a lot. What was going on on Friday? And notifications. Yes, how many times have I tried to notify Graham and he hasn't listened? <laughs> Does he never check his prayer inbox? <laughs> now, of course, of course, you can't do that with prayer. I thought in my head, I thought, should I try and make a graph of like, what it might look like for prayer? And I thought, well, you can't really do it with prayer, of course, because prayer is a relationship. You can't like, turn prayer on and off like, in the way that you might a phone. But it did get me thinking, what would our prayer lives, lives look like? What are the things that we pray for? What are the things that we prioritize in our prayer, in our relationship with God? What would that look like for us? And actually, in Scripture, the things that we see prayed for are often not the things maybe that we pray for. Jesus' biggest prayer in the New Testament, longest prayer, do you know what that's for? It's for unity. Number one prayer, biggest prayer, is for unity. John chapter 17. Huge, whole chapter on Jesus' prayer, praying that his disciples, praying that the future church might be one. There's loads of prayers there about wisdom. Tons of times that people are praying, God, give me wisdom. Help me to make right decisions. Paul's letters that pray lots about things we've had a look, a look at today. That people, the people he's writing to may know God's presence with them. Just going back to what I said earlier about, uh, ev- about evangelism. Are there examples of people praying, uh, praying, for, uh, praying for evangelism? And the answer is yes. I mean, yes, there are. I looked up, there's a website, I can't remember what it was, that, that reckoned there were six um, prayers in the New Testament about evangelism. But do you know what they were all for? 
They were all that people would have the boldness and the courage and the confidence in their faith to share it with their friends. Jesus' prayer about evangelism, he says, pray that there are workers to go out into the harvest field. Pray that people may go and share their faith. So there are prayers about it. It's just what, what is the direction they're coming from and how, what does that say about our prayers? Okay. So how do we do this? How do we pray? I thought it would be a good opportunity just to look briefly at how we pray. And I've got, I've got seven Paul's pointers for prayer, all from this passage, which we're just going to go through very, very quickly, just as a bit of a practical guide to how we pray. If you like, top tips for prayer from this. I said to, um, I said to Barney and Daniel, my kids, uh, this morning, uh, this week I'm going on a course um, as part of, my, part of my role here. So I'm, I'm going on a course. Daniel immediately said, oh, is it a running course? <laughs> and I said, no, it's not a running course. You're doing a running course this morning at the mini marathon. And uh, Barney said, oh, why are you going on a course? This is my seven-year-old. Um, and I said, oh, well, I have to, you know, he to teach me how to be a better vicar. And Barney, bless him, said to me, Graham. No, he didn't say Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Although Daniel does love running around the house shouting, Anna, Anna. <laughs> he was like, call me mum. Anyway. Uh, anyway, he said, dad, he said, oh, he said, dad, you're already a great vicar, is what, is what he said to me this morning. I was like, oh, thanks, Barney. But then he said, but you always need some top tips. Okay, so it obviously picks up somewhere from school. There are top tips you need to pick up. So here are seven top tips on prayer from this passage. Okay, and there's lots of things this doesn't cover, by the way. So this isn't this isn't an exhaustive thing for prayer. Just some things from here. Okay, are you ready? Going to go through them quite quickly. Okay, number one, top tip number one: remember truth. Paul begins in verse 14 by remembering truth that's come before. Sometimes when we pray, we don't know what to pray. How, what, oh, I don't know what to pray for this situation or these people or what's going on. I, try, I always try and begin prayers with just reading a bit of scripture and then praying that, whatever I've just read, praying that for people. That's what I would do in this passage here. He remembers, for this reason I kneel before the Father. He remembers what's gone before. So number one, remember truth. Number two, use your body. The verse here, uh, first verse, verse 14, Paul says this, for this reason I kneel before the Father. From whom every family on heaven and on earth derives its name. There is no right or wrong way to pray in, in Scripture. We're not told you have to pray like this, but our bodies and our minds are linked. And they do have an effect, either positive or negative, on how we pray and how we engage, uh, how we engage with God. Um, so uh, often in the Bible it talks about people kneeling to pray or people standing to pray or people lying prostrate on the floor to pray. Do you know there's only one mention in the Bible of, people, of someone sitting to pray? There's only one mention in the Bible. And yet how do we often pray? Sitting down. I'm not saying it's wrong praying sitting down. That, that's, that's absolutely fine. There's not, no issue with sit, praying sitting down. But it is interesting that, that's, that often in Scripture it's kneeling or standing or lying down or whatever. So thinking about our bodies and how we pray. Where am I sitting? Do I like to sit in that particular chair to pray? Do I like to go for a walk to pray? Am I inspired by looking at the mountains and nature? Do I like to go into a coffee shop and enjoy a coffee as I pray? Whatever it is, what am I doing with my body as I pray? So number one, remember truth. Number two, use your body. For Paul, he liked to kneel, I guess. Number three, pray to the Trinity. People sometimes say to me, where's the Trinity in Scripture? I don't see the Trinity in Scripture. Well, one of the examples is it's right here. Look at verse 16. I pray out of his glorious riches. Whose glorious riches? The Father. That's what's happened in just the verse before. I kneel before the Father. I kneel before God the Father. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. 
in your inner being so that Christ, Christ Jesus, may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray to the Father through the power of the Spirit so Christ may dwell in you. Every time we pray, it's always worth thinking, how am I praying with this? What does it mean to pray in terms of the Trinity? Praying to the Father through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. It's a good way to pray. So number three, pray, pray to the Trinity. Number four, pray, and this is just from this passage, pray for Christ's presence and pray for Christ's love. Sometimes when I pray, if I'm not sure what to pray, I'll just literally think about my day that's coming up. And I, just, and, I, and I pray, God, okay, I've got this meeting at lunchtime. I pray for Christ's presence, that I may know your presence there and that I may know your love in that situation. And then I'm doing this later on. And I pray, may I know your presence there and may I know your love. And you can pray that for other people as well. As my kids go to school, I pray that as they walk around the school, as they go in, their, in the classroom, I pray that they may know your presence with them and they may know how deeply loved they are. For your friends, for your work colleagues, whoever it may be, pray for God's presence that people might know God's presence and they might know God's love. Number five, ask for wisdom. Ask for knowledge. God, I need wisdom in all these decisions I've got to make today. I've got a number of things coming up. I just, I pray, please, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to know, do I prioritize doing this essay or do I prioritize talking to my friends? Do I prioritize time with my housemates or time uh, with this over here? Do I prioritize time with my kids or my work or whatever it is? I pray for wisdom. You can pray that for other people as well. May they have wisdom. Number six, focus on God's glory. At the end, in verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his powers that work within us, to him be glory in the church. Everything we pray for needs to go back to God's glory. At the end of the day, it's all about him. It's not about me. It's all about him. And Paul's other prayers all end up also focusing at the end on God's glory. God, I pray that you may be glorified in this situation today. You may be glorified through this or through that. Finally, number seven, bring it all back to worship. Not yet, Rich. <laughs> Sorry. We'll go, anyway, yes, I'll tell you. Bring it all back to worship. Prayer and worship, I think, go together. They all go hand in hand, prayer and worship. Uh, it's why when we had our prayer gathering uh, last, last week uh, on the Wednesday, we had, uh, we had worship together. Thank you, Ben, uh, for, leading, for leading us in that uh, on uh, last, last Wednesday. But I think worship together just focuses our eyes on God. Now, that's different for different people, whether it's plugging yourself into your headphones and listening to a worship song, or whether it's reading a psalm, or reading something from the daily office, from liturgy, or, or whatever it is, something that focuses your attention on God. Something that uh, gives worship to him, beginning and maybe ending your time with that glory. All glory to God. Bring it all back to worship. So there are just seven very quick points. There's a number of stuff it doesn't include in terms of prayer, so it's not exhaustive, but there you go, seven points. Okay, finally, final thing to say on this. The final thing to say is don't stress. Okay, don't stress about this. One of the things that talking about prayer does is it has the ability to make people feel extremely guilty about, oh gosh, I don't pray, or I don't pray like you, or I've tried that before and it didn't work, or my mind drifted all the time. I'm sure if you had my prayer thing up there like I showed on my iPhone, it would say, Graham spent like you know, 20 minutes trying to pray, 18 minutes of which he was just drifting in his mind and thinking about what he was eating later, you know? I'm sure that's what my prayer life, you know, if you had it on the screen, would look like. 
I was listening to a, um, a talk on prayer, and uh, he began, the guy began by saying, I've read loads of books on prayer, he said, you know, tons of books on prayer. And my ultimate advice for you is, don't read any of them. They just make you feel guilty all the time. You know, you read these stories of, well, so-and-so prayed for this, and, you know, this amazing thing happened, and these people got healed, and this happened. You just read it, and you go, oh, I can't do that. Just feel rubbish about it. One of the issues, or the beginnings, I should say, of prayer is exactly what Paul prayed for us. For us, the beginning of prayer is knowing how much we are loved. And knowing God's presence, Christ's presence with us. It's kind of ironic, I don't know, maybe ironic is the wrong word, but it's, it's, it's kind of weird that actually the beginning of prayer is knowing that you don't have to pray in order to earn God's love. In fact, we can't earn God's love, can we? The beginning of prayer is to know that prayer is a response to all that God has done for us. It's part of living a life worthy of the calling that we already have. Paul's prayer for us is that, first and foremost, you may know Christ's presence with you and that you may know God's love for you. And prayer flows out of that. It's interesting about Paul's prayer for us that we may know Jesus with us. It's not that Jesus would be with us more. He doesn't pray that Jesus would love us more. He already does. His prayer for us is that we might know, we might understand, we might indwell within us the love, we might know the love that he has for us. The best friends are those whose identity is not based on the friendship but whose identity is based in the love that God has for them that then frees them to be the best friends. The best marriages are based on people who know the love and the care that God has for them, which then frees them to be the best husband or wife, the best parents, the best work colleagues, the best children, the best whatever, is that we might know our identity in Christ so deeply that it frees us to do all the other things that God has for us. So my prayer for us, individually and as a church, is that every one of us here today may know Christ's presence. That you may know Christ's presence with you, and that you may know God's deep love. How wide, high, long, and the other one. Low. (laughs) Christ's love is for us.